Hello 49er fans and welcome to the latest edition of the 49ers Paradise Podcast Show. Thank you all once again for tuning in. This week's show is unsponsored. If you're interested in sponsoring a 49ers Paradise Podcast Show, drop me a line at brian at 49ersparadise.cjb.net to market your business to an extremely targeted audience. As always, you can call into the show locally from San Francisco. It's 415-376-7297. Then dial star 747-628-7149. There are local numbers from throughout the world. Just click the phone link in the top right-hand corner of the main page of 49ers Paradise to have your take or question played on the air and responded to by me over the air in our next 49ers Paradise podcast show. Looking forward to hearing from all of you. This week's 49ers Paradise podcast show is unlike anything we've had before. Forum member Philo Fat, also known as his real name, Patrick Uruk, has done his homework and come up big time bringing in a guest interview with 49ers player, personnel director, Scott McLuffin. Yes, that is right. 49ers Paradise is very pleased to bring you this exclusive interview, and uh, we couldn't be happier. It's the second uh, 49er-related personnel or uh, former personnel person we've had on the show. The last was Kirk Reynolds. It was a fantastic show. It's archived if you haven't had the opportunity to listen to it. Um, and this one stands to be just as good. Definitely worth the listen. And um, I hope you all enjoy the show. Since there hasn't been much in the way of 49er news lately, I'm going to get right into the show, as really there hasn't been a lot since has happened uh, since the last show, since the mini camps. Basically, the uh, rookies and a few undrafted free agents were able to finish up school and report to the off-season practices. But other than that, there really hasn't been much news. And uh, so this interview comes at a fantastic time when there's been a little bit of lull um, in the 49ers news and. I know that uh, certainly all the bases are covered in the interview. Everything uh, you would want to know is is there. And so there's no point uh, taking on any further delay. Let's get right into the meat of this show. I hope you enjoy it. And uh, thank you very much to our forum member, Philo Fat Patrick, for coming through for us with this fantastic, fantastic interview. And, of course, a special thank Thanks to Scott for taking the time out of his busy schedule and uh, offering something back to us 49er fans who really can't get enough even in the offseason. So without further ado, here's the interview. Pat O'Rourke with the Vice President of Player Personnel for the San Francisco 49ers, Scott McLuhan, as we touch base on the state of the 49er franchise, of course, following the draft. Uh, Scott's third draft with the 49ers, and, uh, and Scott, uh, of course, uh, we want to get it get in that draft great detail, but I first want to address uh, the moves you guys made before the draft, the free agency moves, and there's been some question, of course, over the years in terms of whether owner John York is willing to spend the money, and I know you've insisted a lot in previous interviews with me that he is, in fact, willing, in it. and I guess that was proven this offseason because you guys did show out some uh, big money to big-time players, and uh, you guys uh, seem to address uh, quite a few holes through free agency. 
Yeah, we did. You know, and the thing that was unique about the, this last off season was the fact that we had so much uh, salary cap room to go out and do some damage with getting players. Um, you know, hopefully this is only a one-year thing from the standpoint of us going out so much into free agency because we want to your draft classes to start mature and, and taking those spots so you don't have to go out and overpay other players from other teams. But you know, sat down with with, with John York. Um, you know, about every three months during the off, or just during the regular season, but during the off season from the standpoint of free agency, and just kind of game plan what our what our thoughts were. You know, what kind of players I think we needed to go get. Um, what was the ballpark of the, the cost? What was going to cost us? And uh, it was great. You know, he's since I've been here, he's been 100 percent behind us from the standpoint that he wants to put a winner on the field, and he knows that free agency is a tool that we can use to get a better football team together. And uh, the big prize, of course, that you guys landed was cornerback Nate Clements. Uh, where does he rank, in your opinion, among the top corners in all of the NFL? I mean, is he a guy that you feel is one of the top five corners in the NFL? And if he's I mean, even better than that? You know, I definitely think he's in the top five. It kind of depends what you're looking for in a corner. Um, he's more of an all-around corner, meaning that he can play physical, which we think is very important, especially playing Arizona twice a year with, with Anquan Bull and Larry Fitzgerald. Um, is he the quickest or the fastest guy? Probably not, but you know what? When it's all said and done, he fits the, the, the players we're looking for standpoint of, of passion for the game, you know, c- consistency of his play day in and day out. Um, you know, a thing that was very intriguing to me was the fact that he's still got three or four really good years of football in front of him, and his durability's been great. You know, 96 of 96 games since he's been in the league. And I think in free agency, you, you can't over, overlook that. I think the durability is a huge aspect. No doubt about it. And, of course, another guy you brought in to address the secondary was safety, Michael Lewis. This guy kind of fell out of favor in Philadelphia, but uh, I, I'm sure with the kind of money you guys spent on him, you envision him as a starter for you guys. Definitely. You know, and I'm lucky enough to know Michael, you know, pretty good coming out of college, of course, coming out of CU. I've always had admiration for him as a football player. Um liked the fact the way he played in the NFL. You know, I did go to the Pro Bowl in 04. Um, you know, last year, you know, they drafted a kid two years ago, Sean Constantine, out of Iowa in the fourth round. And with, with Dawkins being the other safety, I think they were worried about putting too much money at one position, meaning and paying the two safeties that caliber money. So I think with, with them drafting the, the Constantine kid, he got more and more rest because they knew he was going to be part of the future where they probably wouldn't be able to afford Michael. Um, we're very excited to have him. Um, you know, he's a big kid. He's got really good movement skills. He's a dang good open field tackler. Do you envision him starting alongside Mark Roman, or do you think Keith Lewis still has a chance to be a, a starter-type player for you guys? I see being Michael Lewis and, and Mark Roman. Um, with having the luxury of, of a Keith being your third, you know, we, we also drafted a kid, Deshaun Goldson, out of Washington, who think I, who has a chance. We took a kid two years ago, uh, Bakil Vaughn, who's over in Europe right now playing. Um, it, it's a nice luxury to have. We finally have, at corner and safety, some depth, where we have guys that played NFL football and started and played pretty good NFL football as your three and four at corner or safety. And of course, you guys are really making the you know going into that three four defense, and it's really tough transition from a, a four three, which you of course had when you guys you and Mike Nolan initially took over the team. Uh, outside linebacker, I know it's kind of been a question for you guys. You guys have, uh, signed Tory Benta Kane uh, from the New England Patriots. Is this type of guy that's going to be an every down player for you guys? I mean, do you feel that he's a guy that is, is as strong against the run as he is against the pass? Yeah, he is. You know, his forte and what he did in college, and also what he did for New England is rushing the quarterback. Um, that's so hard to find, you know. And, and, and being a 3-4 team, which we've envisioned since we've been here, but finally getting the personnel where we need outside guys. And, and we're taking Manny 
last year in the first round, the second first round pick. We did that because we want to go to a 3-4. Um, last year we couldn't play as much as we, we wish we could have, but with that and Tolley and having Manny on the other side, it gives us two guys that have the chance to get to the quarterback, which, of course, you're well aware in the NFL is so important. No doubt about it. And, of course, you guys were working for that type of guy last year and Manny Lawson, who we're going to get to and a little bit later on, a guy that's coming into his second year and may be ready to come into his own as well. Another defensive player signed, nose tackle, Broyo Franklin. I mean, is, is Broyo Franklin, is he a guy that, uh, obviously, being a nose tackle in a 3-4 defense, you want him to occupy blockers and allow linebackers to come up and make plays. Is this another guy that maybe hasn't necessarily been given the chance in, in this previous organization, in this case the Ravens, and now he's a guy that maybe can you know take a little bit more of a glamour role in the defense? Yeah, definitely. You know, I think it's nice about Abreu and, and, and with Tolley, we're talking about you know two good defenses where these guys were kind of rotate, rotated players. I mean, they weren't always full-time starters, but they played along good football players. I think that's important, and we address that in free agency from the standpoint. Even with college players, we look at well, who, who, who are they surrounded by? They're good players around them. They come from a good structure. They come from a winning team. And both of those guys have played on really good defenses. And I think it's they're, they're ready to step up and take on a leadership role and, and be primetime starters. And uh, on the offensive side, you guys, of course, signed Ashley Lilly at receiver. And you guys, you know, on the second day of the draft, were able to trade for Daryl Jackson uh, for just a fourth-round pick. And, you know, considering Jackson's numbers last year, a guy that, uh, you know, was among the league leaders and receivers before the injury, it's just – I mean, a lot of people are scratching their heads. Why do you think Seattle would be willing to trade I mean, Daryl Jackson to you guys, a division rival? Of course, you guys defeated Seattle twice this last year for a fourth-round pick rather than send him somewhere else. You know what? I, they, I think they tried, you know, similar places. I think what happened this year, it was a very unique draft because there was so much depth at the receiver position. Um, a lot of teams had a good, solid number one or number two receiver on their team already, so they were going to draft a young guy to be their third or fourth. Um, I, I'm lucky enough to know Daryl very well for me, my five years up in Seattle. Know what kind of person he is, know what kind of football player he is. Um, you're right, his production numbers have been excellent. Um, you know, so we we're very excited about it. Um, you know, I, I, I know for a fact Coach Holmgren will be upset knowing that Daryl Jackson's on our team. they got to play him twice a year because Daryl's ready to play against them. Um, you know, and sometimes change is good for organizations. And, you know, it came to a point where, you know, both sides up there felt maybe it was time for change. And they got some compensation for him. Um, we felt really good about the compensation we gave up. It was our third, fourth-round pick. Um, I think his talent level and his production alone warrant better than that. But uh, we'll see. You know, but we're, we're, we feel good about it. Same with Ashley. You know, with his average per catch over his career is very unique, and it's something we're looking for. We need to stretch the field, you know, with that, having Vernon Davis, now adding an Ashley Lilly and a Daryl Jackson with an Arnez battle. You know, we we got some guys that can make some plays, and, and, and all it does is, is take pressure off Alex Smith. Yeah, the position certainly looking a heck of a lot better than it was last year and even a couple, two, three, four years ago. Let's uh, talk about the draft pattern work here with 49ers Vice President of Player Personnel Scott McLuhan. And the draft, of course, is your bread and butter, Scott. Uh, you obviously had some great drafts up in Seattle, helped contribute to a team that won an NFC championship. And as far as the 49ers, this being your third draft, still very good grades from your previous drafts. And now we're talking about the 2007 version. Patrick Willis, the linebacker, will start off with him your first round pick, your first of your two first round picks. You envision him as a starter for this season? You know what? Um, the thing that's nice that we're finally getting to a point on both sides of the ball, offense and defense, where you know our first two drafts, even for agency, if we if we went got a player high in the draft or gave a guy some money, they're almost pinpointed to be the starter. We're lucky enough now to have some depth at the linebacker position, um, knowing that he's going to come in. 
and from the get-go, learn, learn the sub package, meaning you know the third down type packages. I, I foresee him being on the field more than he's not, especially as we get going into the season because of his play speed and the fact that he's a heck of a football player. Um, you know, we felt really good about taking him there at 11, you know, because we had hands-on for a week down at the Senior Bowl. Um, and the one thing that was intriguing about it is Coach Nolan at the end of the week has a team vote captains, and he, he was voted captain by, by the defensive players, which shows his leadership ability. And then you throw in the fact that how, how much production he's had over two years, you know, in the SEC, um, you know, he ended up running 4.37, you know, at 237 pounds. With adding him to Manny Lawson on the field at the same time, it's probably the combination of the two fastest linebackers in the NFL. Yeah, no doubt about it. And uh, as far as Will is, is concerned, I mean, I, I know you're not looking to make safe picks. You're looking to make the best picks for the football team. But I just imagine looking at this type of guy, there are, of course, quite a few first-round busts year in and year out. But it seems like looking at the intangibles and everything that Patrick Willis presents, it seems certainly it's possible, but it seems almost impossible that he could be a bust. Well, the thing is, it fell, it fell in a place for us. Not only did we take the best player on our board at the time at the 11th pick, we also took a kid that we knew, again, pretty well for the week we're with him. You know, the passion for the game, the intelligence for the game, the work ethic, the understanding that the team as a whole is going to win and lose together, not one individual. So it all fell into place with what I call a double whammy. We got the best player on our draft board. We got a good football player with all the intangibles we look for. Left tackles are highly valued in the NFL. Obviously, a lot of times they're used in the first five or ten picks to draft. And you guys uh, went after a tackle later on in the first round, Joe Staley getting him before Baltimore could get their hands on him, of course, trading up to get Joe Staley. Do you envision him as a long-term left tackle in the league? You know, the thing that's nice about him, again, we had him for the whole week down at the Senior Bowl. I could foresee him being he, he's athletic enough to be a left tackle. He also can be big enough and power enough to be a right tackle. Um, he's a very unique guy. I think his best football is in front of him. You know, he comes from, I wouldn't say a low level of competition, but maybe a, a mid-level competition where he came in as a tight end. He kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And, uh, you know, I like the fact that he's, he's our guy through and through from the standpoint. He's a tough kid. He's a smart kid. He's going to work really hard at it. And the versatility, as we did with David Boss, you know, or, or with Adam Snyder in our first draft, we take guys that aren't just pinpointing one position. They have a chance to play two positions. That way you get the best five on the field. And whereas you guys were able to sacrifice a first-rounder to go up and get Joe Staley, you got a first-rounder back from the Colts when you traded your second-round pick. Was In that spot of the draft when you guys made a decision to trade away your second-rounder, was there any player that you were looking at in particular that may have fell to you that where you guys would have held on? To that second round pick, like was there a guy, maybe a couple guys you're targeting and made it more, I mean, easier to trade away that second round pick to the Colts. You know, you know what, going in the draft, I was really, really nervous, and I spoke with Coach probably about a month before the draft, and about every day we talked about it. I was nervous of 42 because I think the same guy you take a 42, you could probably take a 52, um, and, and we were wiped out. Now there was a good player on the board that was an offensive lineman, but we saw as a left tackle only. And a Tony Ugo from Arkansas, who who Andy came and got from us for the first round pick. Now we had four teams on the phone at the same time, all wanting to come get that player. So we had some leverage, which helped out. And I know uh, I did not want to go in this off season knowing that we didn't have a first round pick next year. It would have drove me nuts. So it was nice to get that first round back. Albeit Indy, but you never know what can happen, you know. But we do have seven picks again for next year. Yeah, no doubt about it. Man. I thought what well, most people believe that was an excellent move to get that first rounder back for next season. A guy, of course, you got the next pick in the third round, Jason Hill. He had an excellent forty. Uh, he had 
great college numbers as well in the Pac-10. I mean, this is a guy who talked about stretching the field. He certainly did that at Washington State. I was a fan of him watching him throughout the Pac-10. I'm just wondering why does he slip to the third round, considering he had the good Florida, considering, I don't know, it looks like he translated that to the field when you look at his numbers. I know he had some injury issues, but still, uh, a third-round pick seems a pretty nice value to get Jason Hill. It was. If you if you'd asked me prior to the week before the draft, after what he did at the Combine, after what he did his pro day, and then, of course, his junior year production was excellent. He was nicked a little bit his senior year, but nothing serious, nothing that's career-threatening or anything. But, you know, I would have I would have said slam dunk, he's a second-round pick, maybe a late one. Um, you know, and that's just me personally, and I could be wrong. But when all of a sudden he was there with our first pick in the third, we were very excited. You know, not only is he a good football player, but he has some size and some strength and some speed to him. But, you know, he's a local kid, which, which you know, just kind of adds to the flavor of, of, of the whole atmosphere of the pick. We're joined by 49ers Vice President of Player Personnel, Scott McCoolin, breaking down the 49er draft as well as some of the offseason moves and overall the state of the organization. Scott in his third year of the team and, uh, you know, a guy, another guy you got in that third round. Of course, you guys were fortunate to have a lot of picks in that third and fourth rounds. Ray McDonald, uh, is he, I mean, you guys obviously feel he's big enough as a 3-4 defensive end, uh, you know, to make an impact with you. Definitely, you know, and again, I, I, it's like a broken record, but we had hands on for a week with him as well at the Senior Bowl. Um, we felt he was our best D lineman. Um, my my personal feeling is we got this guy like we got Frank Gore because of a little bit of a medical history with a knee. Um, you know, if he was 100% healthy, which I believe if Frank was 100% healthy coming out, they would have both been first-round picks from the talent standpoint. Um, we're very excited about Ray, and I think it's going to prove out. You know, knock on wood, you never know for sure about injury history or how it's going to, you know, relate in the NFL. But if he stays healthy, he has a chance to be a dang good NFL football player. Are there any injury issues that uh, could hamper him for, I mean, initially, I mean, here in the first and and Well, in August? there is, and I think that's people were nervous probably about the knee. But the way I look at it is, you know, he, he played the whole season this year, played excellent football in the SEC, ends up going to the Senior Bowl, has a great week, has a great game, goes to the Combine, does everything, does it well, goes to his pro day at the school, does everything, does it well. You know, so, you know, I, I kind of look at well, what have you done for me lately, and all the stuff he's done with the so-called injured knee, he's played very well. So, you know, we're going to ride it out and play just like we do with Frank. You know, let, let the chips fall where they may. But, uh, you know, knock on wood again, if he stays healthy, I think he's got a chance to be an impact player for us on the D-line as a 3-4 end. Let's talk about a couple of the defensive players you guys took in the fourth round, Jay Moore and Joe Cohen and what you envision from those guys. You know, Jay Moore is very intriguing to us because we're, we're looking for a 6'5", 270-pound outside linebacker. Um, it's unique when you watch him on tape, and I'm sure a lot of the fellows have from the standpoint of him being in Nebraska. You, you, when you watch him, you, you don't envision a guy 275. He looks like he's 250 pounds by the way he moves around. You know, his his forte in college was as a 4-3 and as a pass rusher. You're getting pressure on the quarterback. But we like the fact that he's a big guy, he's a smart guy, and he's a pretty dang good athlete. He could move around, and I think can cause some problems coming off the edge as an outside linebacker in a 3-4. Um, the thing with Joe Cohen, Kind of reminds me of the Ronald Fields we took our first draft here from the standpoint. In a 3-4, he could be a nose or he could possibly be an end. Um, he has some power in him. He's, he's built low to the ground. He's, he's, he's a leverage player. So I think his upside's good. And, you know, speaking with Urban Meyer, who is the head coach in Florida, you know, they had, they had a whole handful of defensive players taken, and some, you know, some high, some middle, some late. His personal feeling, my personal feeling as well, was this guy might be the sleeper of the whole bunch from the standpoint. He didn't get a lot of credit because he does the dirty work. But as you're well aware, in a 3-4, as a nose, you do a lot of dirty work. No doubt about it. Obviously, like we mentioned before, occupying those blockers so someone else can come up and make the plays. Uh, Deshaun Goldson, you briefly mentioned him a little bit. Uh, 
you know, he's a guy that can play, it looks like, maybe both corner and safety. Are you envision him more as a safety long term? Um, right now, as a safety, you know, same thing we took Marcus Hudson last year. You know, the thing that's nice about both these kids is that they showed on tape that they have played corner, which means they got some movement skills to them, which, as a safety, correlates into being pretty good coverage safeties. Uh, the thing we liked about Hudson and we like about Goldson, they're both they're the bigger body guys. Um, they're both pretty good open field tacklers. They both have some special, special teams value. And you just hope they keep getting better and better. And, and, you know, and if they can be a tweener type guy, I mean, and step out of corner against the bigger receivers or play safety if somebody gets nicked, then, you know, we, we feel good about the versatility. One of the more overused uh, terms, I think, during the draft, I mean, certainly it's, it's relevant, but over is the character issues. You hear it so much, and I know you guys took uh, Terrell Brown in the fifth round, and he's a guy I know from seeing your previous drafts, Scott, that you like taking guys that uh, are – Guys, not guys that are maybe first or second round talent that maybe fall to the third, fourth round, or guys that are second round talent that maybe fall to the fifth round. And here's an instance, I guess, when you look at his talents, I and mean, Terrell Brown certainly seems like he has second round talent. Definitely, you know what? On our board at one time, before the second infraction he had, he was in the second round for us. Um, you know, the same thing he did with Gore, the same thing he did with Ray McDonald this year, and the same thing with Terrell Brown is. You give him a value. You give him a value as a football player. You, you give him a value as a person off the field. You give him a value as a medical, you know, standpoint. Um, and then you put it all together. And then we, we, with Coach and I will sit down and talk with the ownership and say, okay, this is his talent. This is where he would go in the draft if healthy or if no problems off the field. This is where we put him because the investment now, the reward's much better than the risk, but there still is a risk. And so you, you can't give him too much credit for being a football player alone. You got to do the whole package. And we felt in the fifth that. You're right. From a talent level, it's a slam dunk. Um, now we understand that when you take him, you got to have a structure in place and set him down right away and get him around the right people to know. Listen, this is the way we do it. If you cross the line, we didn't invest enough anywhere. We can't cut you. You got to you got to walk the straight and narrow. And that's one thing Coach Nolan's been really good about is like, listen, kids, when you come in the first day, this is the way we do it. And if you're not going to do it this way, you're going to be gone. So we feel good about. It. We did a lot of homework. Matter of fact, we brought him in here prior to the draft. We flew down and met with him a couple times before the draft. So we feel good about the amount of work we did on him. Um, is, is anything in the draft for sure? No. But we feel at that point in the draft with the talent level alone, it was well worth the pick. Yeah, it doesn't seem like a huge amount of risk. I guess you could say the same thing about Thomas Clayton in the sixth round. It doesn't seem like when you're using those type of draft picks that you're taking as much risk maybe with teams that use, you know, take second and third round picks on guys with character issues. Well, it is because, you know, the whole thing when said and done, you're investing in a product. You know, if you want to go out and you want to buy a new car, you want to buy the newest car. You don't want to go out and buy a broken down car. But if the price is right for the broken down car, you'll go do it now. The same with Thomas Clayton. We like the talent level. You know, he's had a little bit of injury history. Um, you know, they go to Florida State, end up transferring to K State, and end up tearing a knee up, and then end up hurting a foot last year, missing some time. But you know, we're look we're looking for young guys that that have talent, especially the second day that have a chance not to be you know so-called starters or maybe ever considered frontline starters. But you know, we're looking for quality backup that have talent to come in and help us if we do need them. I and we feel both those kids. If they keep working at it, and if they walk the straight line, that we got two pretty good football players late the second day. Pat O'Rourke with the 49ers, Scott McLaurin. Scott, you of course talk 
plenty about the role of the Senior Bowl, and obviously it plays a huge role in your guys' draft, uh, not only this year, but the last few years. Uh, is that something that, I mean, Coach Nolan seems to be one of the hardest-working coaches in the league, and is that something that you know, he's going to want to do? I mean, every year he gets a chance to do is, is get in the Senior Bowl, and you guys a chance to more in-depth scouting that way to get be involved with these type of players to participate in the Senior Bowl? He does. He's, 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 he, as he tells me all the time, he's a football coach, and that's all he wants to do is coach football. But, you know, the way it works is that they usually go from the worst team to the best team. Um, it was very unique last year. I got a call from the league office because we're sitting number 11 saying, is there a chance you guys might be interested again? So I went down and spoke with Coach, and he was very, very excited about it. So I called him back, and I said, yeah. He goes, well, there's still three or four teams that, you know, it depends if there's going to be a coaching change or if they turn it down, you guys can do it again. Well, of course, we did it again, and all I heard down there were grumblings. That's an unfair advantage. We get hands-on for a week and all that. But as you're well aware in the NFL, you're always looking for any kind of advantage you can get. Uh, hopefully next year we don't, we're not coaching. It means we're, we're way too late to coach it. Hopefully we're picking you know, 32, right. and there's no way we can get to us at 32. But there, there, is a, there is a definite advantage with it. There's no doubt about it. You know, and, and our philosophy and our, our plan since we got here was not just take – the height, weight, speed, best athlete on tape type player, but take the whole package. Take a little less of an athlete if he's a good football player. That way we know we have every day. Obviously you want to you know, be playing deeper into the season so it even doesn't even become an issue. Looking at the, uh, the minicamp you guys have had, is, did any one of these uh, draft picks maybe stand out more than the other or anything in particular stand out to you from minicamp? Well, the thing that was really nice was that they were all healthy. They all practiced. They all uh, it seemed like they fit in in the meeting rooms. They fit in on the field. The talent level you saw on tape and at the workouts and at the all-star games seems to be the exact same. Um, the one kid that did show up and made some really nice plays was Deshaun Goldston as a safety, just moving around, getting his hands on some balls. Um, it looks like you know he's, he's got a chance now. Again, the special teams will play a big value with him about if he is on the 53, which, you know, if he keeps progressing like he did from the minicamp, he's got a definite chance. And, you know, the thing we're looking for, especially with second-day picks or even bringing in free agents off the street, is more competition for training camp. And this is our first year where when we make our final cut to 53, we're going to have some tough decisions to make. Um, but that's a good problem to have. Now, you got to make the right ones, but it means we're getting enough depth on the roster where there's possible guys we might end up trading Knowing that we got a young guy that's going to unseat the older guy, or or the or the, the you know the, the contract's so much friendlier for the young guy compared to the older guy that maybe we go a different direction. Um, but all the good teams have that have those problems, and that's the kind of problems you look for. Are you? I mean, I'm sure you look forward to every you know August and so for the dog days and so forth. And you know, when you come down to decisions of who's going to make the roster and so forth. But I mean, maybe looking forward to it more this year because of that newfound competition. I mean, is this what you envisioned when when you took over the team? I mean, the roster was completely bare. Uh, you know, obviously we can t- go on and talk about the you know what Terry Donahue did with the roster. But I mean, it just it was very bare. And it seems like now, like you mentioned, there's a heck of a lot of competition. I would think maybe you'd be looking forward more so to this camp than maybe even the previous two. I definitely am. You know, the, the thing that's nice about it, and I think not only are we we've seen it, but the national media has seen it, the other NFL teams are seeing it. We're getting better. We're getting to be a team that's competitive team where people have to worry about us now. It's not like, oh, we're playing the 49ers, we're okay this week. Well, you know, the, the, we're going to be in a dogfight now. We're not where we need to get yet, you know, but we're going the right direction. And, again, you want those tough decisions at the 53 cut because it means, you know what, we have some players that, that we like. Um, you know, in the first two years in Twitch, they have their own philosophies about how they draft, but we're getting the type of players that we think we can win with. If not, we can for sure compete with this year and have a chance to be a playoff contending team. So when it comes down to the 53, you, you love having the tough decisions because it means you have football players you like. 
and it certainly shows when you got guys like Shantae Spencer, Arnaz Battle, and Derek Smith, guys who would be starters on you know quite a few other teams that now are battling for starting jobs on your particular roster. Uh, you mentioned the expectations, and obviously they're a lot more this year than they have been the previous couple of years. It's funny because the division is pretty strong, and it seems like you look at each one of the teams in the division, there's high expectations for each one of those teams. So I imagine there's going to be some disappointments for somebody in this division as well. I mean, is it going to be a disappointment for you if you guys don't make the playoffs this year? Personally, yes. Um, you know, but I think you talk to in the other 31 teams right now that all say the same thing. But honestly, you know, I, I'm a realist, and, and I look back and I watch so much pro tape. I, I know what other teams have. Um, you know, if we stay healthy, especially at certain positions, it, it would surprise me if we're not in the hunt towards the end of the season because I think finally we're the type of team with the mix of veteran leadership and with the young guys a year older and if the rookies we're bringing in that. We can go on the road and compete week in and week out, which the first two years we couldn't do. Now, at home we would, but on the road it's so important. you got still a few wins here and there. And I, I'd be disappointed this year if, again, we have to stay healthy, but I'd be disappointed if we're not in the hunt at the end of the season. Of course, Mike Nolan's still in charge of everything regarding the coaching staff, but uh, looking at, you guys do have two new coordinators this year, and particularly everyone's looking at you know the development of Alex Smith with a, a third new offensive coordinator in his third year in the league. Obviously, he gets to work with a guy he worked with last year in Jim Hostler, but uh, there is concern, I'm sure, of all the off-season moves and so forth, but I mean, I'm sure the biggest concern is you know losing someone like North Turner. Well, it, it was, you know, and, and North's a great coach, you know, as was Coach McCarthy the first year, but... You know, I think the thing, and, and, and we mauled over, and Coach spent a lot of time interviewing other people for the offense coordinator job. The thing that was nice, we had a lot of people that wanted it. You know, they, they could see some of the offensive talent we have and know that there's a chance to be a good offense. But I think it was important from the quarterback standpoint, you know, because Jim was a quarterback coach, and, and, and he's the one that called the plays in from the sideline after they were sent down from Norv. So he has a really good relationship working with Alex Smith. Um, but I think from Alex's standpoint, you know, being 22-year-old, he needs to have structure and have some consistency year in and year out. And this year he has, and I think our first minicamp after the draft, he looked much more comfortable. He looked like, you know, things were clicking, things were coming easier with the offense. Um, you know, the position's so hard as it is. Even when things are going right, it's so hard as it is. But I think it was important, and I think Coach Hoster would do a heck of a job. It's very important to him. He works really hard at it. And, you know, and we're not going to change much. You know, we're going to run the football. We're going to be a running team, power team. But also, I think with some of the offensive weapons we added on the outside, you know what, I'd be disappointed if Alex doesn't make the same step in year three as he made in year two. Well, certainly there's always a learning curve in the NFL in terms of you know getting better each year. It's particularly tough when you look at quarterbacks. But speaking of learning curves, I'm looking at a couple guys you drafted last year. I know you still have very high hope and expectations for Manny Lawson and Brandon Williams. I mean, what are you looking for from these couple guys this year? And, I mean, did they particularly stand out in the, in the recent minicamp? You know, as a matter of fact, Brandon was probably the MVP of the whole camp. He had an excellent camp, probably caught 25 to 30 balls in, in, in the four practices we had. Looked like the same same guy you saw on college tape, and the reason why he set the uh, you know Wisconsin all-time receiving record. Looked comfortable, looked like instead of thinking he was reacting, You know, which a lot of times for those rookies it is tough, especially that position, the first year to produce. Um, we were very excited about him as a return guy, of course, when we took him, but he showed enough that he's very interesting as maybe a slot receiver. Um, but he had an excellent camp. Manny... You know, we draft him to be a pass rusher and, and play. You know, go forward and make plays in front of him. Well, he was so dang intelligent and athletic. We used him as a cover linebacker, so he wasn't doing what we drafted him for. But you know, again, that's why I think it's so important for us to be a three-four because when we took him, we envisioned him being an outside backer in a three-four. And last year, he was more of a four-three 
kind of a sandbacker, meaning covering the tight end and the backs down the field. So I think they both they both work really hard at it. It's very important to them. Um, you know, and I think, you know, even our surrounding cast, even with our new defensive coordinator and Greg Minuski coming from an excellent defense that, that, that you know, that has been successful for the last couple of years, and he was a part of that because he's a linebacker coach, I think he brings a toughness and a discipline, you know, that, that's going to make us better on that side of the ball. Pat O'Rourke with 49ers Vice President of Player Personnel, Scott McLuhan. Scott, just a few more questions. Uh, you know, I, there's no doubt you and Head Coach Mike Nolan certainly value the offensive linemen and, and great depth there. And, you, and this is the best depth the 49ers have had on the offensive line for years and years. And that leads to questions regarding potential trades. I mean, do you see, I mean, certainly the names we're hearing about are Justin Smiley and Quayne Harris or whether the chance that those guys would be traded before the start of the season. You know, there's a chance for anything to happen. You know, I think the reason you hear those names the most is because we do have some depth, you know, especially taking Joe Staley and, and David Boston really ready to step up. And, of course, Adam Schneider, you know, is a good football player. You know, you hear those names the most, I think, Smiley and Quame, is because they they both have one year left on their deal, their, their rookie deals, which makes them unrestricted after next year. Um, but also, uh, you can't lose sight, I don't know if the fans lose sight of, you know, the, that's our starting right side of the, 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 the NFC leading rusher, and, and there's a reason for that. So they're good football players. You never want to let a good football player go, I mean, you know, especially on the old line because you, you always have injuries. You know, you always need some depth, but... You know, we, we, it's very important to us when we got here to build the old line, put something around the quarterback to give some time to throw the ball, or be able to run the football. And we feel very, very good about our offense line. Matter of fact, personally, I think it's the best group I've ever been around from the standpoint of numbers that can go out and play NFL football. Yeah, that's a, certainly a heck of a lot of talent there. And of course, one of the guys part of that offensive line, Larry Allen, uh, Walt Harris. I want to bring up those two guys in particular because they were kind of late signings for you guys last year, let go by other teams, and obviously stepped up and were outstanding last year for you guys. I, do you envision any maybe late free agent signings this year that could be similar to the signings of Walt Harris and Larry Allen last year? There's there's a definite chance. You know, you never know. You know, the thing that was inter- inter- interesting about Walt, he was let go because of salary cap reasons. They needed to make room for our trade with Brandon Lloyd with the Redskins, so they let him go. So not only we get a third and a fourth round pick for Brandon, we also were able to pick up Walt. Um, and Larry was, you know, Larry was great from the standpoint, you know, who he is. He's a Super Bowl champion. He's a, he's a future Hall of Famer, a Pro Bowl caliber player. That we need our young guys to look at those guys and say, "Listen, we're okay. You know, it's a big game. We're in the third quarter, but look at those two. Those two've been through it. We're going to be all right." Um, you always scan the waiver wire. You know, the thing that's important is, you know, everybody wants to give Coach and myself the credit for the roster, but I got a great personnel, pro side and college side, and especially with the pro side, when all of a sudden a Walt name comes available or Larry comes available or whoever comes across the waiver wire, they've already done their homework. They come to me and boom, we watch some tape. Within a half hour, we make a decision. And that was important with Walt because we had Walt done probably oh an hour and a half after he was waived with with five other teams involved, but we had him signed already. So you know it's you always looking to improve. Um, you know you got to be careful improving with too much uh, you know age from the standpoint of medical you know reasons. But if you can add a good football player that fits our kind of mold of a football player, which Walt and Larry both do, you, you take a swing at. So again, all it does is add more competition for camp. 49ers Vice President of Player Personnel Scott McCoolin. Scott, uh, thanks so much for uh, giving me all this time, and uh, I can speak for a lot of 49er fans. Uh, excited about the direction, the way the team is heading after, uh, of course, the dog days from years before. I mean, everyone's uh, pretty excited about the drafts you guys have had, and uh, looking forward to it uh, coming to fruition even here in the next couple of years. You know what, Pat? I really appreciate it, and you know we're going to keep going. You know we're getting better. Um, it's 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 a fun process to be involved in, and. 
you know, the fan base is phenomenal, not just locally, but, you know, uh, from nationwide. Um, and we feel obligation to the fans. They've had success here, and they deserve to have success again. And, and we're going to do everything in our power to make sure we get back there. Like I said, folks, just a phenomenal, phenomenal interview. I'm sure the forum is going to be buzzing with all the all the quality, quality information that came out of this interview. Just fantastic. Once again, uh, thanks so much for making this happen. It was uh, really a pleasure to listen to. And uh, I hope all of you took the same level of enjoyment out of it as I did because I just thought it was absolutely fantastic. So that's about it for this week's 49ers Paradise Podcast show. As always, feel free to send your questions and comments to brian at 49ersparadise.cjb.net. You can, of course, call into the show by all means. We're looking forward to hearing your takes. And if not, we'll see you next time. of the 49ers had only just begun.